I think they feel that number one, if it's written in plain English, you don't need a lawyer to interpret it. So they're, oh, they're <laughs> that is my theory. And the other thing too, is like, I don't understand why people feel the need to use five and $10 words when the one cent word works just as well. And even more so because you're not smart by the amount of words you use that are massive and you need a dictionary to interpret. You're smart by being able to communicate and for people to be able to understand your message. So you have to meet your people where they are and then maybe later educate them to get them up to speed if that's necessary. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And if you have ever wondered about making that transition in your writing style from a professional, more academic voice to a mass market voice, you are going to really enjoy this episode because today I have with us Erica Anderson. And Erica is the author of the book, How to Not Kill Your Business, And the subtitle is Grow Your Business in Any Environment, Navigate Volatility, and Successfully Recover When Things Go Wrong. And the genesis of this book was also connected to a shift that Erica made in her life from being an attorney in in the corporate finance world and military, where she became a national uh, security and disaster preparedness response expert while advising different commands in the military, and also during high-risk situations in Afghanistan. Uh, Her work with actual, these disasters actually led her to attain a master's of public affairs. But in 2020, she made a shift in her career and she left active duty. She left corporate law and she started her own business called EAAS Consulting with the goal of keeping businesses in business. And It's to that end, to develop that business, that she wrote her book, How to Not Kill Your Business. So the the conversation that I have with Erica for this episode really centers around how do you make that transition, right? When you're used to writing, you know, there's a certain way that lawyers need to write when they write briefs, right? There's a certain way that we write when we're writing a master's thesis in academia. And neither of those styles is particularly compatible for a mass market nonfiction book. It's not even compatible for a mass market fiction book, for sure. So it's really not compatible for the mass market. And so today, Eric and I are going to unpack some of these key points and key shifts that happen in order to help you make that transition. Enjoy. Erica, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you, Robin. You know, when when you reached out and brought up this um idea of changing voices, right? When you're going from a more formal or professional or academic tone to a more conversational tone, it can be a big transition. And I know, you know, even working with my clients, you know, many of whom are professionals in various fields, including the sciences, uh, you know, and other academic things as well as legal. And it can be a big transition. And there are certain things in the language 
that are that have to be vastly different when you're writing for the mass market. But um, before we get into the details, I'd love for you to so tell us about a little bit about where you were and what happened to cause this shift, and then what did you do next? That, that is a very open-ended question. I can go. Into uh, that's right. That's that true. <laughs> and, and if you get lost, I'll remind you what part of the question you're in. So it's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I started out my career as a corporate lawyer and uh, wound up hating doing that from the beginning, but really hated it in 2008 when I was helping the banks who caused the world economy to collapse, defend themselves against the SEC and the oh, Attorney General and DOJ. Um, I started doing pro bono work for veterans, and I was like, wow, I feel really fulfilled by this. Now, she's my law degree for something really useful. And I decided to just do that all the time because it felt dirty to charge money for that. So I wound up leaving the corporate law world and joining the active duty Jack work. And I did that for the next like decade. And one of my first positions in the Jack Corps was it was called legal assistance, which is basically like legal aid for soldiers. And I found, like, I am a, a work smarter, not harder kind of person. And when people were coming in, I would be spending a lot of time disavowing them of certain notions they had about what legally they could and couldn't do and what rights they had. And I was like, you know, it'd just be really helpful if, you know, the, the common things that we saw the most, the biggest issues we saw the most, if they knew about this and was educated about it in advance. So I had mm-hmm. the idea to start an article in the, um, the military installations paper the, the legal corner where I would tell people uh, about what the legal issues were and, but not use legal speak. This is a funny mm. thing about law school. Our legal writing classes don't tell you to say here to for and forth with and all that. They actually tell you to use plain English, but for whatever reason, lawyers don't want to do that because then. Oh, you that, need- now that I never knew. Yeah. I figured it was law school that was ruining the writing of these people, but that's just how they just like to write that way. Yeah, I think they feel that number one, if it's written in plain English, you don't need a lawyer to interpret it. So they're they're oh, that is my theory. Um, And the other thing too is like I don't understand why people feel the need to use five and ten dollar words when like the one cent word works just as well and even more so because you're not smart by the amount of words you use that are massive and you need a dictionary to interpret. You're smart by being able to communicate and for people to be able to understand your message. So you have to meet your people where they are and then maybe Mm -hmm. later educate them to get them up to speed if that's necessary. So I was writing, I started writing for a civilian or lay person audience about this stuff. Because again, I wanted to help myself. It's all about me. I'm very selfish about it. <laughs> Isn't it always, Erica? Isn't it always? Always. always. <laughs> I told you, smarter, not harder. I'm like, if I write one column there and it gets you to know. soldiers and they come in and they understand and they're not asking me questions after, you know, like waste 20 minutes of my appointment explaining this to them, they already know it. Like, awesome. Can awesome. I just reveal to you that that was my motivation for writing my book is I realized that there were fundamental things I was telling all my clients right from the get-go. And I thought, what if, what if I made them read a few chapters before our first session? Mm -hmm. And then we, at least we could start on the same, you know, (laughs) understanding what conversation we're in at at the very least. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) And it seems very similar to what you're saying. Right. Right. And, And the other thing too, is I would do a lot of trainings and then like fast forwarding a bit into my career, we're going to like fast forward a lot. I became a professor of emergency management and I really wanted people to, I think it, it, says a lot about you 
if you can use words that people understand, because it really shows how much you understand the topic you're talking about. So when I was being a professor and I could use all the buzzwords, I can use all the industry terms from FEMA and emergency management, but that doesn't actually connect, right? So Mm -hmm. I would relate things to things that people understood. And I've always been really good at that. I know that from people I've worked with, they're like, I completely understand you're really good at, you know, drilling things down or boiling it down into bite-sized understandable pieces for me before like, you know, people, when they, it's a human nature thing. If you don't understand, you discount it. And I've been into multiple meetings where, especially in the military, they use acronyms and someone will say an acronym and like move along. And then someone's like, do you know what that means? They're like, beast the heck out of me. Like no one wants to No one asks, right? (laughs) But no one says, uh, what does that stand for? Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> so it was after I did a lecture, um, I did a guest lecture for uh, another college and the professor, so I, I have my own consultancy for business continuity and um, resiliency, which I'll get that in a second. And this professor's like, I think you really need to write a book because it's going to increase your eminence. And he meant it from an academic perspective. Uh-huh. And the problem with an academic perspective, I didn't want to write that book. I didn't want to write a textbook. And mm-hmm. my students had told me when, after my, my first semester teaching, it was the first time I taught a sustained 16-week semester versus like a training I've given a thousand times to a group of people. And they were like, we love that you don't talk like a professor. And I'm like, wait, is this a compliment? They're like, no, no, no. You don't speak from like theory and you don't talk these big words. You talk to us like we're real and you talk from experience and that's awesome. And the thing is, I wrote the course, I designed the course that I wanted to take. So if I was a student, like this is this would be completely exciting to me. So mm-hmm. I start I took that as inspiration to write my book in a very conversational way. Cause I had done some market research for business continuity books. Number one, there there are a couple, but no one's reading them. <laughs> and number two, <laughs> continuity professionals for people who already know what business continuity is. And I right. wanted to reach people who didn't know what it was because there's no reason, particularly small and mid-sized businesses, there's no reason that they're not practicing this because large corporations do it, the government does it, financial institutions do it, healthcare facilities do it, higher education institutions do it. There's no barrier to entry other than knowing what it is and how to do it. So I decided to write in a completely conversational tone. And I even wanted it to have a music theme because I like music. So every chapter is a song. And the I, lyrics- saw- <laughs> <laughs> I first, I thought I was imagining it. <laughs> I was like, Robin, are you just a rock and roll freak? And you're just reading into this. Okay, yeah. there we go. Now we know. <laughs> and you're doing something that people can like how how like you'd be surprised it did not take me long at all to find the songs or the lyrics to convey what I wanted to convey and these are popular bands these are like Rolling Stones David Bowie Nine Inch Nails Wu-Tang Clan yeah. U2 to name a few so yeah. I'm, um, I've made, I made yeah. this extraordinarily accessible to my target audience and part of the thing is so the, the book's called How to Not Kill Your Business and that's the short title I won't do the whole long thing but I was talking to somebody for some business advice and he said, Erica, what is it you do? And I started explaining what business continuity was. And he was like, okay, um, I'm really smart. I don't quite get it. And I went, okay. And I kept using industry terms like, well, it's this and it's this and it's this. And he's like, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, do you basically help businesses not kill themselves? I went, yeah. He goes, then say that. Yeah. Say that. I go, well, you know, it, it's an industry term of art. And he's like, Erica, you may be right, but it'll keep you poor. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I'm like, absolutely. That's the thing is I don't need to be right. And that's, that's also a thing about writing 
in a lay person's terms. I don't mean lay person in, in a pejorative way, but if you're not in the industry and certified or educated, you're, these are words you're not going to use. And I was at a conference. Um, I was speaking at a conference two weeks ago in Austin. And one of my mentors, he'd bought my book and he was reading it. And he was like, I have a couple of questions for you. I said, sure. He was on this page. Why did you call it this and not what the FEMA words are? And I was like, because I'm not writing FEMA doctrine. I'm, you know, this is what it basically is. It's the same words, just not FEMA's words. And he was like, fascinating. <laughs> okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? But you know, it's so, it's so true. Like I see this a lot when I'm editing people's work, right. And there's um, often not, not always, but a lot of times people do tend to use the jargon of their industry in what, what, they, what is intended to be a mass market book. And everything you're saying is is accurate, right? It it makes the book very difficult for your general mass market audience to be able to understand, to be able to relate to, to feel seen by the author. If you're talking all in industry jargon, then they feel like you're writing to your peers in the industry because you are, because you're using that language. Right, right. And the funny thing is, um, so I had my target audience and one of my biggest buyers of my book were actually other business continuity professionals. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 it wasn't meant for you. It wasn't meant for you. <laughs> but what they're doing is they're using it to actually relate to their clients better, which yeah. is, okay. I'm like, okay, sure. Take that and run with it. But it's, yeah. it's funny. It, you might think it's difficult to switch your ability to talk about certain, certain way, but think about it this way. Um, for myself, example, I'm talking to you in a basically professional setting. If we were talking offline, we were friends, I'd be dropping F-bomb because it's my favorite word to say in every sentence, right? And I'm See, not- I, knew I liked you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, if I'm talking- Good thing is for general audiences, listeners, or this would just be a, an if, F-bomb. I'm, if I'm talking with military okay. people, then I'm, then I'm right. using a lot of acronyms. If I'm talking to continued professionals, I'm using a lot of industry terms. And it, it, so it's it, who you're in front of you naturally will switch because everybody will do this. You don't talk to your boss the way you talk to your best friend. You may be right. delivering the same message but using different words. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it, and it does. It depends on the context that you're in and understanding who the audience is, right? And being super clear on who the audience is before you start writing, by the way. This right. is always a good time to do that. That helps. <laughs> that helps a lot in the process. <laughs> Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? In case you're new to the author's corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books and get them published. With over 30 years in the publishing industry, I've helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishing houses. Many have gone on to become New York Times, Amazon, and Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today bestsellers. And others have increased their business income by 600 times or more as a result of their book being out in the world and the partnering work that they did with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, Go ahead and book a free consultation call with my team today. We have a limited number of spots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, 
go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Go ahead and fill out the application form to be considered for one of our exclusive spots. Again, the link is www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. So you had already made the shift in your teaching. Uh, and then and then when you went to write your book, it seems like you already knew the voice that you wanted to use. Is that accurate? Or did, did it continue to evolve in writing the book? So when like, the book was meant to be essentially a business card on steroids, and mm-hmm. all you needed to do was be published because it's weird what doors get opened the second that you are published. Certain doors got opened when I had professor next to my name, like lawyer didn't count. My certified, you know, like um, the initials for CBCP, certified business continuity professional, didn't really matter. But for whatever, professor's like, ooh, so she she knows something. Okay, sure. And then it's like, well, she's published a book. Well, now she's really smart. No, I'm the same person. You know, followed these steps that you thought meant something. Like you were a gatekeeper <laughs> for some reason and whatever. Um, and I was like, okay. And I was kind of hemming and hong about even writing this book. So I'm like, I don't want to do case studies. Like, I hate writing in an academic perspective. I hate it. I've done professional writing for court papers and motions. I hate being constricted so much by that. And I hate citate. I hate hate all that. Even telling my students, I'm probably going to be your favorite professor because I don't care about your citations. I'm not going to check them because I don't want to. So just don't (laughs) plagiarize and give me the website you got the information from. That's all I care about. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And then it was, it was just, I was like dragging my feet about writing this book. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do it. Maybe by the end of the year. And this was in April-ish that it was recommended to me. And my students mentioned how they liked how I talked and taught. And that was in May. And then I was like, you know what? I can do it this way. And then I got excited. That's when I got excited about actually doing the book. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be awesome. And I had, I I was originally going to call it something like, well, the business continuity guide to blah, 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 blah. And when I had that person talk to me about, Hey, Erica, I really don't understand what you do. Can you just simply say, like, basically, you don't, you help businesses um, not kill themselves? I'm like, yeah. And that just, and that was in uh, July. And then that's when I even made a bigger switch. I'm like, all right, we're off to the races now. And I wound up writing my book by the end of the next month after that conversation happened. Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. And really, it it speaks also to the power of a working title, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you had stuck with the title of business continuity, Mm-hmm. No matter how hard you tried when you were writing it, I don't think you would have gotten to the place of chapter headings that match popular rock and roll songs. Right. You see what I mean? Because because yeah. you would have still been in the old box, even if your yes. intention was to be more for the general audience. Uh, absolutely. That and, and I think to be just, more playful and to and to be more yeah and have more fun so with it. it. Right after that conversation, I was flying home. Uh, for my birthday and the woman who sat next to me on the plane she's like so what do you do and I'm like I'm a business continuity expert and I'm writing a book and she's like oh what, what's the book called I'm like how to not kill your business and she's like oh I got off the plane I got to my mom's house I opened up my laptop and designed the cover because I can't be a liar right I was like I just speak it into existence I'm like okay <laughs> here's here's my book and it became like my north star I was like this is what you're doing like this is yeah. this is going to be your baby then I reverse engineered 
when I wanted it to be released. I picked a significant date and then I was like, okay, let me go backwards from there. And I need time for editing. I need time for book formatting. I need time for this. And I'm like, oh crap, I need to start writing this in the next like week and a half. I need to be done by this time. And, you know, even, even though I knew I was going to be writing in a conversational tone and everybody who knows me, who's read the book, they're like, I hear your voice. You're talking the whole entire book. I hated writing one of the chapters specifically, even talk about it in my like note to the reader, because I still had to spend a lot of time translating from industry language to my language, these things. And I would avoid writing that chapter. I do like two paragraphs, then go re-edit a chapter I've already done. (laughs) And like, maybe I need to add some more people to my acknowledgements. I would do anything (laughs) and everything to not write that chapter because it was taxing. It's not that easy to do all of it in a conversational tone, but I had Uh to because that was the my purpose. Yeah. You know, by the way, that strategy that you used is the good one. I want, I want to point that out to our listeners that there are going to be sections of your book that feel more like a slog. A great way to get around that is what you did, which is work on it. Some go write something you have energy for, or go work on something you have energy for, and then come back and work on it some more. And, and eventually it got done, didn't it? (laughs) Sure did. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. Now I have to ask you, and this is slightly off topic, but what made you think of using songs as chapter headings? Like, how, how did you get there from, from conversational to? No. <laughs> Somebody said, if you could think of a theme, think of one. And I was like, I've always done quirky things for, for anything I'm doing. because I always want to make it interesting. I don't like to be dry. And some of the stuff can be dry. So I remember even in high school, one of the things I was not challenged in high school. So I'd be like, all right, you're going to write your English essay and you're going to throw some Nine Inch Nails lyrics in there. And the professor's going to have no idea. So I was like, Macbeth's moral standing was lying down, which comes from um, a lyric off of Nine Inch Nails' first album. So I would throw these things in. It was just like a game for me to see if I could do it. And and, you know, I, I I do love music. I have a very broad taste in music. And I was like, does this make sense? Can I do music? And then somebody was talking, she's like, why not? And I was like, I guess you're right. Why not? And it just went from there. And um, yeah. So did you ever come across a chapter where you struggled? Um, probably uh, the Earth, Wind and Fire chapter, Build Your Nest, because that's about um, actually doing your plan or your business continuity. And I had a, I did some Googling and research. That one was the hardest one to find. And I was like, mm. I wanted to actually be a band that I like. And I had to find the lyrics that made sense. So like, I really, I thought I wanted to use um, Cypress Hills, Insane in the Membrane, because I wanted to call it like Train in the Memory. And I was like, no, the lyrics don't work. The lyrics just do right. not work any way, shape or form. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I take some liberty with the lyrics. Like, if you know what comes next, then it kind of ruins it for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> the one, one chapter I wrote for solopreneurs called One, and it's like, uh, I, I use U2's lyrics. Yeah. So is it is it getting easy on you now? I left that, or, you know, something to blame. I'm like, no, no, we're not blaming anybody. I'm just trying to make yeah, it Yeah, I was going to say, I was, I was thinking about One because I was like, well, that's, you know... Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think of the entire context of the song, well, probably for, for most of them, the entire context of the song probably doesn't match a lot of what you're saying. Um, Correct. <laughs> right. Nice Nails is my favorite band. So that was in there. So I was like, I like out of where do you fit? Where can I find something? Let me go through. I just went through a whole bunch of different ones to find that. Um, I knew I wanted to try to use Wu-Tang Clan. Protect Your Neck was easy. And I, and I was shocked how the lyrics fit perfectly. I was like, oh my God, how is this even possible? There you go. <laughs> yeah, if I'm, I'm trying to hold myself back because if we got going talking about music, 
this would have to be the author's corner music edition because I, <laughs> but I have to, I just have to say, have you heard, you must have heard um, Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt. I have. And I'm annoyed at everybody's like, oh, I love how Nine Inch Nails covered that. I'm like, no, 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 no. See, now you can tell I really do like Nine Inch Nails. Yes. <laughs> but I love his cover of it. It's just mm. like I can listen to it over and over and over. It's so haunting. And, it is. Uh, and it's haunting in a completely different way. It's not from a I'm a heroin addict and I want to kill myself way. It's like which Trent was, you know, when he wrote it. But, you know, you Johnny's this humble. Never mind just the, the tempo that he does it and the yeah. way he sings it. But like what it it's. Yeah, it's a completely different song. And he had and he had a history of drug addiction. Johnny Cash did. So I felt like he was coming from a place of knowing, but he was in a different place. So it was it was so powerful. And it was one of the last things he recorded, I think, before he died, too. So anyway, yeah, it it was spectacular. If you haven't heard it, listeners, go listen now because it's I mean, not now. Wait till the end of the interview. But also but also know that Trent Reznor wrote it, not Johnny Cash. Yes, make sure we give credit where credit is due, which is the second episode in a row where I've used that phrase. <laughs> so that's okay. Well, it's always a theme with um with with publishing and books because, like you said, plagiarism is something we want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, giving credit where credit is due is a good mantra if we're talking uh, anything publishing, anything books. This uh, has I cannot believe how quickly this time has zoomed by. This has been so much fun. But before I let you go. Um, I'm going to ask you my signature final question, which is, what have I not asked you that you would love to answer? Oh, it could be anything. <laughs> hmm. I guess what drove me to write my book, really? Okay. Let's hear it. Uh, so, yeah, the business card on steroids was part of it, but I knew, again, from market research, when I wanted to start my business, that the people who really needed it, I had a pie in the sky image of like, I was going to help mom and pop shops because they deserve. It's a dream to have a business. It's a dream to keep in the family, it's a dream to serve the community. And they were not either interested or willing to spend money on any kind of business continuity stuff. So I made this the lowest bar to entry, You like five bucks on Kindle, 20 bucks paperback with a worksheet at the back that will move the needle, right? What that really translates to, is not just for mom and pop shops, it's for, it's really what my, I feel my purpose is, where I want to educate and empower business owners and dreamers to keep their dream alive. And part of their dream being alive is number one, they serve the community by giving them resources to enhance their lives. Number two, they have employees who get paid money, who can then afford their necessities of life, and then also enhance their lives by using that money to spend on other things like services from other dreamers and keeping their business alive. So I'm not saying I'm responsible for the cycle. I can impart my fingerprint on it, but I love the idea of empowering and creating a community level resilience. And that's more, that's pretty much what I want to say. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I, and I think it's so great that you had such clarity on your purpose going in. And I'm going to ask you one more question, because how would you say that writing the book, would you say that writing the book enhanced your clarity on your purpose? And if so, is there a specific way that you noticed that? I think it did because it really wasn't about making money, you know? And the thing is too, you also on certain, on a certain level, there's, there's, there's this thing that a lot of people struggle with. And unfortunately women struggle with it more than men is you give away a lot of stuff and you, and you feel bad about charging your true value for these things. 
And when I am making something like that, it's a low barrier to entry for people who can't afford it, who don't want to afford it, that's fine. But I also know there is a higher end target I'm going for. And the information I have is valuable. And I, you know, I know that the what I can offer people is very, very valuable. And I have learned to charge appropriately for that and not be afraid of doing that. So when I, when you think about, and you talk to somebody about like, this is not just, this return on investment means you get to keep your business open and keep people employed. Like that's massive. That is really, really big. And if your mission statement, everybody who starts a business has a mission. And if you're just like, well, if a disaster happens, I'm going to close down. Well, are you going to tell your clients and vendors that? I don't think that's a really good business plan. You're not going to be honest about it, right? And it's like, no, let, let your mission be worthwhile. Let you do the stuff that you're meant to do. And just let me be the show me shepherd. Because I always say like, all I need is someone to show me how to do something. So let me be the show me shepherd. And that's kind of, I'm like, I'm being the show me shepherd for a lot of people with this book. And I'm like, okay, I know where I'm going now. I'm not just focusing on this very small subset. I'm going bigger. Because what I'm hearing is, is that the process of writing your book and putting it out in the world helped you feel more fully appreciate the value that you actually bring to others. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And I just have chills thinking about that. (laughs) To me, as somebody who helps people write books, like even though I didn't help you with yours, I mean, if our listeners could see my, my smile is so broad right now, knowing that Erica had this outcome for herself and that it's like, I I'm afraid the corners of my mouth are literally going to start tickling my ears. And, and so thank you for sharing that because I think you, it's such a beautiful way to articulate what writing a book does, uh, especially when you've written a good one and how this is where people really realize that the return on investment, it's not having the book even. It's the process and the transformation that you go through in writing it. The book is words on paper. Becoming an author is really the thing. And it's because of the process. And so when you give the process, like you obviously did, the, the respect and putting the thought into it, putting the work into it and, and really exploring your ideas and clarifying them, this is what you end up with is you see who you are and you can charge accordingly. <laughs> and you know that turns into a massive return on your investment for having a book too, which mm-hmm. is, we all, all have to consider that going in. So, all right, teaching moment over. Uh, But Erica, thank you so much for sharing that. Because again, this is so valuable for uh, people who are thinking about being authors, people who already are authors and want to get more out of of having that. So, boy, I just can't thank you enough, Erica. Thank you for being with us here on The Author's Corner. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.